Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Now this is a true story. Last week, my wife and I stopped by the Dollar Tree store to pick up some things. I turned to her and said, I don't think we should be here during the days of awe. It's such a holy time. My wife, being wise to my ways after almost five years of marriage, asked, is this a joke? I slumped a little and admitted it was. After all, I didn't want to alarm her. And then I said, I just think right now in this season, we should be avoiding a dollar tree. You know, like a dollar tree. All right. All kidding aside, uh, we have come to the holiest day of the year, so I'd like to go traditional, and I have three interrelated points. Number one, the coat and the goats. Number two, the red and the thread. Number three, the reconciliation to the nations. Let's begin with number one, the coat and the goats. Yom Kippur, in many ways, is the story of two goats. This story begins with two brothers. There was a man who had a goat for a brother, strange as this may seem. His brother, the goat, was rough and hairy. Our conflict begins with that cunning Jacob and his twin brother, Esau. Now, Rebekah, their mother, was listening when Isaac, the father, was speaking to Esau, his son. So Rebekah says to Jacob, her son, Look, I overheard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a delicious meal, and I'll eat it and bless you in the presence of Adonai before my death. So his mother continued, Now, my son, listen to my voice. Go now to the flock and bring two good goats that I'll prepare the meal for your father. Why were the two goats good? Perhaps the rabbis say because the good goats represented the goodness of the inheritance, the good portion of Jacob. The two good goats are sacrificed here to obtain favor and blessing. But in this story, there is strife and discord between the brothers, deception, jealousy, and pride along with the blessing and inheritance of Jacob. And so Jacob has a question about this advice from his mother. Vayomer Yaakov el Rivka imo hen esav achi ish sa'ir ve'anochi ish halak. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but look, Esau, my brother, is a rough and hairy man, and I am smooth. Notice here the word for rough and hairy is the same word for goat, that is seir. In other words, my brother Esau is like a goat, rough and hairy. And Jacob is described as smooth, chalak in Hebrew, for indeed he is a smooth operator. The rabbis notice that chalak is related to the word chalek, 
meaning portion or inheritance, the other theme of this story. And Jacob is, is, is of course, the favored brother, the brother of the inheritance, the good portion. But in order to impersonate Esau, Jacob will have to become rough and hairy, like a goat. He'll have to put on the clothes of his brother, the goat. So now, both brothers are goats. We have two goats again, just like the two goats sacrificed for the deception. In this case, one brother is chosen and favored for an inheritance, Jacob. The other, Esau, is at odds with Jacob. This must be the first time that someone uttered the phrase, ugh, he really gets my goat. Sometimes we are Jacob and sometimes we are Esau. Sometimes we are favored and sometimes we are blamed and rejected and kicked to the curb. Discontent with our portion, our inheritance, our lot. We fight brother against brother, like two goats fighting each other over the last scrap. But as I said, this story of the two goats is a Yom Kippur story. Yom Kippur is a time to repent of our clawing at each other, to be reconciled to each other in forgiveness and humility. It is a time to realize that God's favor and kindness is not a zero sum. There is enough for all of us. And it is a time to let go of our jealousy of the favor of Jacob. We realize that even in favor and chosenness, there is suffering and difficulty. Jacob, of course, had a son. And then now, in addition to the goat, we have the coat. Jacob gave his son Joseph a special coat or tunic, a sign of his favor. This coat becomes the focal point of the beginning of the narrative. So as soon as Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the long-sleeved tunic that he had on. Here the narrative clarifies it was the tunic he had on, as if to say, follow this coat, pay attention. Then they took him and threw him in a pit. Now the pit was empty with no water in it. Then they sat down to eat some bread, because, you know, when you're betraying your brother, you need to have a little snack, I guess. When they looked up, behold, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balsam, and myrrh, going to bring them down to Egypt. Now the Ishmaelites were connected to Esau, who married into this tribe. It's the old rivalries, again, between Jacob and Esau, uh, played out in the next generation. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not lay our hand on him, since he's our brother, our own flesh. His brothers listened to him. When some men, Midianite merchants, passed by, they dragged Joseph up and out of the pit, and they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. Then he returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where should I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered, guess what, a billy goat, right? And they dipped the tunic into the blood. Then they sent the long-sleeved tunic, and it was brought to their father. And they said, We found this. Do you recognize whether or not it is your son's tunic? He did recognize it and said, My son's tunic. An evil animal has devoured him. Joseph must be torn to pieces. Jacob tore his clothing and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. 
all his sons got up along with their all his daughters to com- console him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, for I will go down to Shaul to my son mourning. So his father kept weeping for him. A goat sacrificed in place of the favored son, Joseph. In preparation for this sermon, I should mention I got a lot of input from a book by Rabbi Russ Resnick, A Life of Favor. In this narrative, Rabbi Russ advises us to notice the coat. Now picture the coat of Joseph presented to his father with the blood of the goat on it. What does it look like? Whenever I used to picture this scene, I always think of the coat as torn. Is that what you picture? But the text doesn't say that. The, the, his brother, Reuben, tears the, his clothing. The, the father, Jacob, tears his clothing in grief. And Joseph's body is said to be torn by the wild animal. But the coat is just dipped in the blood of the goat. Where else do we see the Hebrew word for tunic or coat? This is what the high priest wears. And the clothes of the high priest are described like this in Exodus 28, verses 31 to 32. You are to make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue. It is to have a hole for the head in the center and a binding of woven work around the hole as a collar so that it may not be torn. Elsewhere, it is described that the high priest tunic needs to be in one piece also. Joseph is playing the role of the high priest here with the untorn, seamless tunic and suffering on behalf of his brothers. The favor of God has turned to rejection of the chosen one so that God's favor can be poured out from Joseph, the intercessor, to them. Jumping to the Gospels for a moment, in the book of John 19, verses 23 to 24, as Yeshua is being led to the execution stake, we find this surprising detail. So, The soldiers, when they executed Yeshua, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for each soldier. Then they took his tunic also, but it was seamless, woven top to bottom in one piece. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it will be. The tunic, which represents favor, is worn by the son of favor, but also the son who suffers who plays an intercessor or priestly role to suffer and stand in the gap for his brothers. Joseph is humbled unto prison for three years, and Yeshua is humbled unto death for three days. In the Genesis story, Joseph plays the role of the high priest with the tunic. The blood of the goat appears again in the story as a substitute for Joseph's death. In the Gospel of John, the ultimate high priest, Yeshua the Messiah, intercedes not with the blood of goats, but with his own sinless blood. And this brings us to the thread of red. The scarlet thread is woven throughout this narrative as well, represented by the color red, by the blood, and by a scarlet thread itself. Esau's other name is Edom, meaning red. So not only was he a hairy goat man as a baby, but scripture tells us he was ruddy and red. Genesis 25, 25 says, Now the first came out reddish. All of him was like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. When Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright, he sells 
uh, it for a bowl of something, and he says, give me some of that red stuff. Literally, in the Hebrew, he says, give me some of that red, red. The brothers of Joseph dipped his coat of favor into blood, which, of course, is red. The next chapter of Genesis 38, after the story, it leaves the story of Joseph behind and jumps to a strange story about Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who ends up bearing his children. From this episode, we have a birth story, again, with twins, as we would expect. So this is the, the next generation here that we see. Now, when it was time for her to give birth, behold, there were twins in her womb. While she was giving birth, one stuck out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it to his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he was pulling his hand back in, behold, his brother came out. So she said, How you have broken through. The breach is because of you. And he named him Perez. Afterward, his brother, on whose hand was the scarlet thread, came out, and he named him Zerah. What is the significance of the scarlet thread? It represents blood, of course, but also the thread of redemption. The Redeemer came from the line of Judah, came from these, uh, these children. The red thread of redemption also appears in the story of Rahab, who hung the scarlet thread in her window so she would be saved in the fall of Jericho. So it represents uh, redemption and salvation. The thread is also evidence here that the blood struggle between the brothers, the, the twins, is not yet solved. There is still blood and violence between them as they jostle for primacy. Who's going to come out first? Who's going to be the first? Who's going to rule over their brother? The same problem as with Jacob and Esau, the same problem as with Joseph and his brothers, including Judah, is now uh, passed on to Judah's children. But I can hear you wondering, what do the coats and the goats, the thread and the red, have to do with Yom Kippur? On Yom Kippur, there are two goats, who according to rabbinic tradition are like twins, Jacob and Esau. The only thing that distinguishes them is their destiny. In other words, they look alike. Here is the description of the unique commandment about the goats in Leviticus 16, 5 through 10. Then he is to take from the congregation of B'nai Yisrael two he-goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron is to offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and his house. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before Adonai at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Aaron will then cast lots for the two goats, one lot for Adonai and the other lot for the scapegoat, or Azazel. Aaron is to present the goat on which the lot for Adonai fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat upon which the lot for the scapegoat fell is to be presented alive before Adonai to make atonement upon it by sending it away as the scapegoat into the wilderness. The rabbi said that one goat, the goat for Adonai, is Jacob. The other, the scapegoat, is Esau. Remember, the scapegoat, according to tradition, would have the red thread tied around its head on Yom Kippur, just like Esau or Edom represents red. And it would be 
uh, sent out into the wilderness, carrying the sins and the blame of the nation. The other goat would be sacrificed to Adonai to purge the sanctuary and the holy of holies. Sometimes we're the Jacob goat. We're chosen and in the presence of Adonai. Sometimes, and in some seasons, we are like the, the scapegoat, like Esau, in the realm of the wilderness. Remember, the realm of wilderness, the desert, is the evil of this world all around us. Wilderness in Hebrew is midbar, and the rabbis have seen in this word medevar, and uh, devar means thing or, or word, So and me is from. So midbar, the wilderness, is far from any thing, far from the word of the Lord. That's what the desert represents. Esau bears the sin of Jacob into the realm that is far from the presence of God, as do we also at times. Rabbinic tradition says that the suffering of the righteous atones for the world. Yeshua the Messiah has come to fulfill the narrative of both goats, to bring light to this tradition of Yom Kippur. The fullness of this idea is found in the suffering Messiah. But for us, it gives our suffering, what the things that we go through, it gives it meaning and purpose. The one goat is dedicated and sacrificed for Adonai. Yeshua is the son of Jacob, the chosen one, who is given a good inheritance, a good portion, but suffers for the Lord and for his brothers. The other, the scapegoat, is cast into the realm of evil in the wilderness, far from any word or anything. By his great love for us, Yeshua, too, fasts, denies himself in the land of wilderness and evil, and the sins of the world are laid upon him like the scapegoat of Leviticus and like Esau. The scarlet thread runs through even to the new covenant, to the sinless blood of Messiah, when he bore the grief and pain and sin and death and shame of the world. When we fast on Yom Kippur and we deny ourselves, we are following after Messiah who fasted in the wilderness and gave his life as atonement. We cannot be the Messiah, but we can be conformed to his image to bless a hurting world. Moreover, Yeshua is also the high priest for all eternity who mediates the atonement of God and brings full and complete forgiveness and restoration by his death and resurrection. Hebrews 9, which is today's uh, New Covenant Parsha, proclaims this, starting in verse 11. But when Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol, or high priest, of the good things that have now come, passing through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, he entered into the holies once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashers of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more were the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
Notice all these sacrifices um, are related to um, Yom Kippur, the goats and the calves and the, uh, and the heifer, which is what color? It's the red heifer, again, with the color red. And this brings us to the final point, reconciliation to the nations. Yom Kippur isn't just about God reconciling us back to him, but back to each other. That is why we take time to make things right with our brothers and sisters during the days of awe and during uh, the Yom Kippur season. We try to go to others and, and clear up any possible offenses. Jacob's other name is Israel. And what of poor Esau? He represents the nations, which are at odds with Jacob or Israel. Scripture tells us that Esau is the ancestor of Amalek, and the Amalekites, who were longtime enemies of Israel. So this gets played out generation after generation. After Jacob and Esau partially reconcile, what happens? Esau settles in Seir, the land of Seir. What does this word mean? Do we remember? It means the goat. He settles in the land of the goat. And scripture says it is at the edge of the wilderness. So Esau is in the wilderness. Jacob, however, goes to Canaan, the land of the promise and inheritance, and then he camps at Sukkot. After Yom Kippur's reconciliation, we come to a period where, like Jacob, we dwell in the presence of God during Sukkot. In other words, Yeshua brings a full reconciliation between brothers at war with one another. Jacob and Esau, that is, Israel and the nations are reconciled through the atonement of the high priest, Yeshua the Messiah. This Yom Kippur, we are encouraged in our sufferings, in our wilderness experience, because the Messiah Yeshua is with us. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, reminds us, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also get rid of every weight and entangling sin, let us run with endurance the race set before us, focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and lose heart. Yeshua is the high priest who endured through rejection and pain so that we can be encouraged in our struggles. He intercedes for us even now. He is the high priest forever. Baruch Hashem. I'd like to close with a final story of two brothers. The first one, younger, is favored with an early inheritance, but he went off and spent his inheritance poorly. He soon spent everything and was wallowing in a feeding trough with some pigs. When he came to his senses, he said to himself he would go back to his father and ask to be at least hired as a servant. But his father saw him a long way away and ran to him and interrupted his apology. And soon he started a big party to welcome the wayward son. But there was another son, the older son, who was there the whole time. And he said, you never slaughtered a goat for me. And what did the father say in reply? Well, 
You'll have to read Luke 15 to find out.